All right, hello, and welcome back to another episode of the MCHD Paramedic Podcast. I'm Dr. Rob Dixon, sitting in for KC Day at Texas EMS Conference. Today, we got a great show for you. We brought the uh, MCHD crew on the road uh, to broadcast live from the uh, hall here, and we have uh, Kevin Crocker, our clinical quality lead. Hi, Kevin. Hello, everyone. And Dr. Jeff Jarvis, the uh, medical director of Williamson County and all things out-of-hospital cardiac arrest. Is it Grand Poobah? Grand, Grand Poobah works. How do I like that. And Andy Adams on the board. And today, guys, we're going to talk about a core competency in EMS medicine, which is really, we should be the masters of out-of-hospital cardiac arrest. So we're going to start off talking a little bit about out-of-hospital cardiac arrest, the epidemiology of it, and then we've got Jeff as our expert here to tell us about the, the CARES program and Texas CARES program. So we're going to start with Kevin. Can you talk, tell us a little bit, Chief, about the burden of cardiac arrest and, and just some basics on it? Sure. So when you look across the United States, um, looking at AHA data, about 350,000 people suffer from out-of-hospital cardiac arrest every year. Uh, and when you look at that, that total number of patients, about 90% of them die. So about a 10% total survival rate for, for those patients that suffer out-of-hospital cardiac arrest. Uh, one thing we know when you look at the literature is only about 50% of those patients receive bystander CPR. Uh, and looking at the statistics, patients that receive bystander CPR have about two or three times fold chance of uh, increased survival. So we know that bystander CPR is very, very important. Um, and it's a, a huge initiative that needs to be done to the community. Uh, when you look at you know high-performing agencies like Williamson County and like ours that have uh, accredited dispatch senators, um, telephone CPR is a you know hot-button topic for most of us, and that's really helped increase the bystander CPR rates uh, in our community. And I, I think you know when you look across most high-performing agencies, that's a, a big a big early uh, initiative to, to get bystander CPR to the patients earlier. Yeah, I think a lot of uh, communities, uh, and Jeff, I'll have you weigh in on this, kind of take that for granted that when they call 911, all these magical things just happen, uh, when in fact there's not a lot of trained centers out there that are accredited uh, dispatch center, and they're a huge part of the chain of survival. Yeah, absolutely. So I think we have in EMS for a long time focused solely on the importance of what we do, meaning we in the ambulance, and we have completely lost sight of our partners in the comm centers. So we have seen the importance of bystander CPR um, in the whole chain of survival. Bystander CPR is incredibly important, probably about as important, if not more so, than what we do. And the way to increase bystander CPR, we can do all the training we want, and we absolutely should do all that training. But having someone on the other end of the phone to tell you that you need to do CPR, to tell you to pull the trigger, um, I know y'all are doing finger thoracostomies and surgical airways, and I imagine you've seen the same things we have. The number one drawback, the number one problem with doing them isn't the procedure, it's pulling the trigger, it's deciding That's to do it. It's no different with citizens. Um, they need some help pushing them over the edge to pull the trigger and start pushing up and down on this human's chest. And that's where um, our dispatch CPR comes in. And that's for the people who probably know what they're doing. They just need a little encouragement. And that's a small proportion of the overall community. The vast majority don't know what to do. They think this person who's not breathing and doesn't have a pulse is having a stroke. And the trained dispatcher can walk them through this, identify what the problem is, and then give them instructions. And yes, that's incredibly important. Yeah, I would say that uh, 
let's stay there for a minute on like public awareness and public uh, public uh, uh, knowledge and access to this. Are you using any products or anything? I know Kevin. We just started using a product called Pulse Point um, down in Montgomery County. Kevin, can you talk a little bit about that? And Jeff, uh, I don't know if you guys use it or not at Wilco. Sure. So, so Pulse Point's a new product to us. Um, we actually haven't even rolled it out to the general public yet. So we're still kind of testing in-house with most of our staff uh, and partnering with some of our hospital partners. But it's a, a software uh, that notifies the public if there's a cardiac arrest inside of a public location. About 20% of out-of-hospital cardiac arrests do occur in a, a public location. So if you're able to notify a Pulse Point user, which is just an app that you can download from the app store and put on your phone, uh, if you're within a certain parameter of that public location, it'll notify you that there is a cardiac arrest. And it's live data that pulls out of our, our dispatch CAD. Uh, so it's, it's real-time public alerting. So if you can get somebody that's CPR trained or somebody that signed up for Pulse Point interested in providing CPR to the general public, uh, it notifies them so they can respond. It also tells them the location of the closest AED uh, if there's one registered. So we're excited about rolling that out in Montgomery County. Um, we'll see how, how it goes when we actually get it uh, de deployed to the general public. Do you guys have something like that in Williamson County, or have you looked at something like that in Williamson County? We, we do. So, one, I would like to tell you that uh, that actually is a small jazz band walking behind yeah, us. Yeah, that so is. I was, they're emptying the garbage here. So it's just a, a little taste of the, the feast of Texas EMS. Conference. Indeed. You know, interesting, you said you wanted to know about products we use, and I was going to say I don't have enough hair to use products. So, um, yeah, we use Pulse Point too, yeah. and we're, we're big believers. Yeah, I think that that's the missing link, isn't it, right, is to get the patient hands-on chest early by somebody doing something uh, until that we, we do some cardiocerebral resuscitation before we get ALS in place and can cardiovert the patient back into a perfusible rhythm. It is. So it's really important, and it's also depressing as a paramedic and as a medical director. And I'll say it's depressing because we like to think we are paramedics are the ones who are saving lives, right? It's the, it's the cool things that only we can do. It's the intubation. It's got to be the intubation, right? Damn it. It's not the intubation. <laughs> well, it's got to be the epinephrine. All right, so it's not really the epinephrine. You mean it's just the high-quality CPR, early, minimally interrupted with early defibrillation? Well, anybody can do that. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's kind of the point. Um, so that's what matters. It actually is more important than the fancy stuff that we get all excited couldn't about. Ag couldn't agree more. Doing the, doing the simple things that we do every day right probably saves a lot more lives than the sexy things that we get to do every now and then. No, no doubt. So let me, uh, obviously I'm a research nerd, so let me just take a hard right turn and, and okay. uh, dive off into this. If you look at Paramedic 2, uh, so Paramedic 2, huge study in England looking at epinephrine, and they're looking at all comers and seeing a 2% survival rate. So, and I swear to God, this is related. So a 2% survival rate, well, the British must suck at this. Well, that's not the case at all. What they did is the only people that they randomized were the people who had already had a round of CPR and defibrillation and now needed epinephrine. So if you got ROSC back, if you woke up and said, thank you, sir, I don't need another, then you were excluded from the trial. So the vast majority of survivors were there, didn't, never made it to the epinephrine stage. So the things that matter are the things that happen before we get to go confuse the situation with all of our fanciness. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. So as we're talking about, we talked a little bit about the epidemiology and some of the surrounding um, data around cardiac arrest. Let's talk about how, how do we speak the same language, and, and Jeff, you're the data nerd, when we, when we write about this. Like when you write a paper, 
what criteria? Who is this Utstein person? Once you uh, guys tackle that down at that end of the table. So I, I think it's a fascinating question because uh, so I hear things like the overall survival rate is 10 percent. But then Seattle is at 60 percent. Are they really six times better than us? Or are we comparing apples to oranges? Well, that depends on who you ask. Uh, I would say <laughs> <laughs> that's why we you have, to have those one guys. Common they'll language. tell you a different story. So. Well, this is true. This is true. <laughs> uh, so, Dr. Utstein, a uh, very famous guy. Uh, full disclosure, <laughs> I had no idea who Dr. Utstein was a few years ago. So, I uh, did some Wikipedia searching um, and quickly discovered there is no Dr. Utstein. Terribly uh, disappointing. I was very surprised and, and very let down. Um, turns out, so the Utstein method uh, is actually a uh, standardized reporting. Uh, method for cardiac arrest across the across the you know, not not in the United States across the world actually uh, it actually was started in 1991 um, and it's called Utstein because it, the meeting was held at Utstein Abbey in Norway uh, it was a group of European society uh, cardiologists who were talking about how to standardize data collection for cardiac arrest so it's important that if we're going to measure to improve cardiac arrest that we are speaking the same language so that way when you're looking at a data set between you know us and Miami New York. King County, insert whatever agency you want. It's important that we standardize that data set. So Utstein just came up with standardized definitions and terminology uh, to measure cardiac arrest. So when we are looking at data, we're, we're uniform in how we're approaching that data collection and uh, research. Right. So we've gone over this stuff. Jeff, we're going to pivot now to you uh, to tell us kind of about the National CARES Registry. Uh, what is it? What's the origin of it? Who maintains the national database? Sure. And then we'll, we'll get into the Texas CARES. Uh, absolutely. If you don't mind, I would like to just come back to Utstein for a little bit and get into some of the specifics of Utstein. So if you look at both statements are true. If you look at overall survival from cardiac arrest in Seattle, it's probably around 20 percent. And I, I don't know that number, and I'm sure someone, will, Dr. Sayer, will come tell me I'm a horrible person. Um, but what they report is Utstein survival. So the distinction, when we talk about Utstein survival, we're talking about a specific data set of patients that have all the characteristics lined up that should survive. And the reason we care about those, that we focus in on those, is because Utstein survival is a marker for system performance as opposed to disease severity. So a patient who has been in a systole for 30 minutes is likely to remain in a systole. Past performance is a pretty good measure of future performance. So what regardless of how good your system is, you're not going to get very many people who have been in the systole for 30 minutes back and functioning. So we limit it to this Utstein survival, which is patients who had a witnessed cardiac arrest with bystander CPR and an initial shockable rhythm. Those are the patients who are most likely to survive, and they're also the patients that the system has the biggest impact in. So that's when you talk about the 60% from uh, Seattle, one, and I'm, I'm not trying to minimize the quality of their system, it really is good, but that's what they're reporting. So when we compare ourselves, if we see that we have a 10% overall survival, we shouldn't jump off a cliff, we should look at what our Utstein survival is. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. So Dr. Sayer, that's Jeff Jarvis yeah, that's at Williamson Jeff County. Jarvis, so, that's right, uh, that's right. Make, yeah, sure, we, make sure you send hate mail that way. Right. <laughs> he's, he's no, it's, a, it's, a, it's a good point, right? It, it's the point of, of why you have standardized reporting and standardized terms. So that way when you are comparing, you know, apples to apples and you're not looking at apples to oranges. So you're talking the same language and when you're looking at your numbers internally right. you're benchmarking, you're benchmarking truly against how your performance compares uh, apples to apples to a Absolutely. different agency. Right. Yeah, that's a key key issue in benchmarking. 
So why why do we want to benchmark? Which I swear to God is a segue to where we want to go. Um, why <laughs> I know you're wanna... getting there, Doctor. I know <laughs> you're getting there. <laughs> Slowly but surely. Why do we want to benchmark? So benchmark is comparing like to like. So um, Montgomery County and Williamson County are similar systems. And if we want to compare how we're doing on, I don't know, acute decompensated heart failure, for example, since we blatantly stole your push-dose nitroglycerin protocol, um, we need to compare the same patient population. So that's where benchmarking comes from. And it's really useful to have a data set of multiple agencies that are like yours so that you can compare your standardized performance. So let's say that we wanted to compare cardiac arrest. We wanted to compare Utstein survival, right? So wouldn't it be great if there were a place where we could all report data and I could just go to my computer, click, 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 and pull up some reports in a standardized format that will show me my performance compared to other agencies like mine. Don't you think that'd be great? That would be great. Well, it turns out somebody thought of that, and that's what CARES is. So CARES is the Cardiac Arrest Registry to Enhance Survival. It is something that started in 2005 in Atlanta, and it was a one-city uh, system. I think the first year they enrolled something like 60 cases, and now they're enrolling about 60 cases a day. Um, so it is expanded out to be the um, really the national registry, if you will, for cardiac arrest. And so the way it works is agencies will su uh, submit their data and there are around 50 data elements that are all standardized and have good descriptions that came out of Udstein Abbey. And uh, people will report that data and then you can compare yourselves. Um, so right now there are 23 states where the entire state is reporting and there are another 18 states where some of the agencies in the state are reporting. There are around 1,400 agencies overall so if you want to get an idea of what cardiac arrest survival in the United States is, the, overall, we don't know. The best answer is to look at the CARES reporting sites. Now, there is a bit of a challenge with that because the people who report to CARES now, um, outside of the state, those 23 states where everybody does, if you look just at Texas, it's just some agencies. And then if you look at who those agencies are, it's not a surprise, they're the higher performing agencies. So overall, care survival is likely to be a little higher than true survival. Right. Um, but the catch here is the value in this is we can't really improve something if we don't know how we're doing. And we need to be able to report that data in an easy way and get the data back to us in an easy way. And that is the benefit of CARES. I like it. Now, can you, you, you segue right into where I was going next, which is, Talk about uh, Texas Cares. Jeff has been a, a big proponent and driver for of out of hospital cardiac arrest care and, and, and certainly the data collection and was one of the key players in Texas to really drive this initiative forward. So tell us what you're doing in Texas, Jeff. Sure. So perhaps I should back up a little bit just because I want to make sure you don't get this in the time period that you wanted to, to get it in. Um, we can always cut you, doctor. I know. <laughs> I get that a lot. Get the for clacker, some Andy. That's right. Um, so if you take a look at, Tex or at CARES and how it was initially funded, it got funded with CDC grants, and then those grants ran out, and then there was some industry sponsorship, so Physio sponsored it for a while, um, and now that funding has run out. CARES is trying to get state, go to a state model 
where the state will spend X number of dollars for a subscription. And with that subscription, every agency in the state, every hospital in the state can support or submit data and get the reports back. Texas is not, or up until this year, Texas was not one of those states. If you wanted to participate in Texas, the agency had to pay a subscription fee to CARES in Atlanta. Uh, so it's based at uh, Emory University right. in Atlanta. Um, so I know my agency, to get us onto CARES, I had to beg and plead, Dr. McNally, please take my money. Um, I want this data. And eventually, I think I was just a big enough nuisance that he took my money. So right now, that's how it is set up. So we have been trying to find funding to move to a state model. And it is a ridiculously small amount of money. I want to say it's like $1,500 a year to, I'm sorry, $15,000 a year to, for all agencies to submit. So we needed someone to step up. And we've been working at GTAC. We've been looking at a um, different levels to try to get some support for this, and we've been failing miserably. So enter into the picture Dr. Ben Bobrell. Uh, so Ben came from Arizona, and you may have, if you have looked at any EMS research at all, you're probably familiar with the EPIC study where they looked at the huge trauma registry for pre-hospital traumatic brain injuries, and they dramatically increased uh, survival just by doing simple things. They've also done uh, the cardiocerebral resuscitation came out of that shop. Dr. Bobro has a great deal of experience with these large improvement efforts. Well, he just took the job as the chair of the Department of Emergency Medicine at UT Health Sciences Center in Houston. And one of the first things he wanted to do is get Texas to be a Texas care state. So he ponied up the money for the startup expenses. So now Texas is a state-sponsored system. So if you have a system that is not currently reporting to CARES and you would like to report to CARES but you just can't afford it, that's not an issue anymore. Your excuse is gone because now it is being paid for at the state level through UT Houston. So and I assume that some of those data points, right, some of the 50 data points are going to come directly from EMS. Right. But how do we get the hospitals on board? Are they all on board with it? Do we do like we do other initiatives and try to gently nudge them towards this, or how, how does that work? Um, so there are 50 data elements, 50 required elements. Four of those are from the hospital. Now, the way we get that from the hospital, so let me tell you a little bit about the infrastructure of CARES. It is a web-based system. So data goes up to the web, and that's how that's the interface with their data structure. Um, the hospitals get a login. So every time we transport a patient to one of our hospitals, we CARES, our data goes up into CARES, and there are two ways it can go up. We can either manually enter the data after we have reviewed our internal data, or we can do an automatic extract. So for example, our agency is with ESO. ESO has an automated extract, so it pushes the data up. Um, when that happens, an email is automatically sent to whoever the coordinator is, the person of record at that hospital. And it's a gentle poke that says, hey, you need to go and fill in these data elements. And then the system, whoever the QI person is that is responsible, will get a follow-up within a certain period of time that says, uh-oh, Jane over here at Hospital X has not entered the data, go poke them. So that we have to kind of continue to do a little poking. But the important thing is that they enter the data directly into CARES. And it is amazing how just that amount of resistance will kill a system. 
So what do you do with the data? If the data has to come back to us in an email and then we abstract it and put it into a spreadsheet and load the spreadsheet into a data set, it just falls flat unless you have a ton of resources. Now, a smaller agency just has to poke the hospital. They put four data elements in and it just automatically becomes part of your report. Fantastic. That was going to be my question. So, you know, finance is a big, you know, a big restrictor to people who want to participate in programs. The second one is bandwidth. Yeah. Uh, most places don't have the resources to, to put the workload into it. So you right. said you have an automatic extra, uh, extract that pulls out of ESO. Did you guys have to build that or no. did the PCR vendors do it for you? Uh, ESO does it. Yep. Okay. So I, I, I think that's a, a huge benefit for, yeah. for almost everybody. I think most people in Texas are probably own uh, an electronic platform of some sort. Oh, yeah. And if you reach out to your vendor, uh, I think almost all of them have the capability to build that extract for you. So when you look at the, the bandwidth and workload of, of the people inside your department, it's pretty low. Absolutely, and the data elements that you need to submit are all NEMSIS elements, and they're all required for your NEMSIS, your state abstract. Yep. Um, so your EPCR is already collecting that data. Yeah. So you're saying it's cheap or free yes. and low work. Correct, correct. Yeah, no -brainer. absolutely. Yeah, no-brainer. Exactly. And the reports that you get are phenomenal. I tried doing this manually before we went on to CARES, massive, massive pain in the butt, almost, to, and we have a great deal of resources. It almost made it impossible for us to track manually. Yeah, and now we just go in, hit a button, and get our report. Yeah, and that's actually where we are now. So we don't, we're not a CARES reporting agency. Uh, we reached out to CARES several years ago and tried to, to give them the, uh, our data, mm -hmm. and they didn't want to take our money. Uh, Correct, so you just needed to increase your nuisance yeah, factor. We, we, weren't, we weren't annoying <laughs> enough, apparently, so we should have called Dr. Jarvis, he could help us out. I, I am very annoying. Uh, so, so we're very excited to find out that Texas is a CARES uh, state, and we have the opportunity to, to do that, because we have a very manual process now. So Brad Ward, who's our cardiac coordinator, uh, reviews all the cardiac arrests. Sorry, Brad, you're not here, wish you were. Um, and he manually has to build all the, that data himself, and it's yeah. hours of work. It is. It's a real challenge. There is, um, if you ask Luis Gonzalez, who's the performance improvement uh, person at OMD in Austin, he will tell you that it is probably best to do it manually um, because, so just when we look at our extracts, uh, we notice just taking one of these data elements, which is etiology of the cardiac arrest. Most paramedics, and we actually train on this, but most paramedics, if you ask them, they will, we are now taking heavy fire. Um, <laughs> yeah, we're taking heavy fire here. It's, uh, I, it's, I believe these rounds are coming in from Seattle. It might have been yeah, from something I said. You pissed Sayer off. I did. We're not leaving, though. We're yeah. persevering. That is right. We will. <laughs> we'll not be deterred. Correct. Yeah. So now we know the flight time from Seattle for, <laughs> for artillery rounds. Uh, yeah, so what he says is just etiology, if you look at it. Um, most medics will think, well, of course it's cardiac etiology because their heart stopped, therefore it's cardiac. And that's not really the definition. So he will go in and if he just manually cleans up all the data. And it is better, but it's marginally better. Right. And if you are a small agency and your choice is perfection or nothing, we really need to not let perfection be the enemy of good enough. I actually love that statement. I say that a lot, too. Yeah. Sometimes yeah. The, the juice doesn't work to squeeze. Exactly. To yeah. put more more analogies in. Absolutely. So. I like it. I wish either <laughs> one of those were mine. Yep. I like it, guys. So last question, guys, for both of you. Where is where is, where is that a hospital cardiac arrest management going in the future, and how is CARES going to affect that? How does the data feedback, or how do you hope the data we can get, the, the information we can get from CARES, how is that going to help guide us and to the next level about hospital cardiac arrest management. 
So I think that's a great question and it allows me to plug Texas Cares. So Texas Cares has two components. And Texas Cares, by the way, has a website and that's where I really think you should go to get more information. It is tx-cares.com. And it's really important that it is tx-cares. If you spell out Texas, you're going to see some crazy cat videos. I don't know how, maybe the C stands for cat. I was talking about this at GTAC and Dr. Abraham says, um, before you go type that in, <laughs> I, I might let you know that you need to get the address right. So it's tx-cares.com. And it will tell you all about the program. And if you want to get your agency um, set up, and of course you do want to get your agency set up because who wouldn't, um, that's how you, that is a small animal in a lot of wine. Yeah, so you have to, we'll have to put that in context with Dr. Jarvis. There's a, wow. a young lady, I think she's selling raffle tickets, but she's got a wagon she's pulling uh, full of liquor uh, with a small wee dog in it. Yeah. And I'm not sure the correlation or what she's doing, but she's been here yesterday and today. I'm not. I, you know, I, I but try you know not she's to be around the MCHD booth. I don't I, know why. I see that. I see that. Yeah. Man, that's, I, I think that's what my dog would call a snack. Uh, <laughs> So Texas Cares, get the website right. And if you want to submit data, uh, talk to Micah, who is you can get a hold of at that Texas TX-Cares.com. I feel like a politician asking for donations. Um, well, actually, for that matter, please donate because it will help sustain the system. So Texas Cares has two components. One is the data management component, and that's what we've been talking about so far. But the other component is a federal initiative called CPR Lifelinks, and that is a QI element. So we know we need data to improve, but data alone is not enough. And CPR Lifelinks is designed to help us improve. And it, is a, it was a NHTSA-funded project, and Dr. Barbaro was the uh, PI, the principal investigator. And it combines things like bystander CPR with dispatcher telecommunicator CPR and high-performance CPR. Puts all of those together, it, it basically is a toolbox to teach your agency and your community how to improve CPR. And I think that's where the future of cardiac arrest care in Texas is. So right now we are at around uh, 10 to somewhere between eight and 12% all-comer survival in Texas, and we need to improve that. Um, and I really think that if we take this seriously, we get as many agencies on board as we can and we push CPR lifelinks as far as we can, that will help us improve cardiac arrest survival in Texas. And I, I can't think of a more worthy goal. Yeah. Short of maybe, that's you know, a, vaccinations. The, I think that's a great place to end it. Jeff, thank you very much for joining us and, and sitting in today. We do have your MCHD Paramedic Podcast t-shirt. Uh, a t-shirt, that's what you said. Yes, indeed. Outstanding. Yes, indeed. I'm, I'm seeing it over there. It, that is an awesome, awesome logo. I like it. Like and, and Kevin, thank you for sitting in for uh, Brad Ward today. Uh, we, he wanted me to, he texted me and tell you, you are no Brad Ward, but uh, thank you very much. I am no Brad Ward. There's All no right. doubt about that. There's only Mindy. one. All he, right. He listen. may actually like the cat website. So if you can give Brad the cat website later, he'd really appreciate it. Yes, indeed he would. So. Outstanding. All right, Outstanding. listeners. Everybody, thank you very much. Um, check out our newest uh, offering, which is the MCHD Paramedic Podcast 360 on the MCHD YouTube channel. Uh, look for more episodes on some cardiac topics coming up. As always, if you have questions, comments, leave us a like. Leave us some comments on wherever you consume your podcast uh, e or email us at the podcast website. It's podcast at mchd-tx.org.
Thanks, everybody, and we'll talk to you soon.